and there's still time. Welcome to episode 48 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pender. Now Charles Dickens' A Tale of Two Cities starts off by saying, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And that kind of sums up possibly the the Whitecaps' first two games of, of this season. Today's game, tale of giveaways really, both goals came by the... The other team giving the ball away cheaply. Big controversial refereeing decision as well. What did you make of that Shivas game, Steve? It's hard to say. It was a little disappointing based on last week's results. I thought they would come out a little bit stronger. There was all that talk about this is not going to be last year's Whitecaps team. They would start out strong. They would attack. They would not uh, like. They would play the same way they played at home as they were on the road. I don't know if it was, I don't think it was the coaching because that's what Robinson kept saying that he's going to do that. I think it was the players falling into bad habits and going reverting back to last year. And I think a lot, I personally think a lot of it is the heat getting into their heads, all the talk about the heat and they're thinking that they got to, you know, they got to conserve energy during the whole 90 minutes. And then obviously that, that early red card had a big, big effect where, Maybe they thought they could take the their the foot off the gas a little bit and they had plenty of time to do whatever they wanted for the whole game. Well, let, let's start off by looking at that, that red card. There was a lot of discussions on Twitter about it. Very mixed opinions. Some people saying they felt it was a straight red. Initially, when I saw it, I didn't even think it merited a booking. Still a little bit torn in that, but yeah, I guess a booking would have made sense. To me, though, never a red card in a million years. And when I first saw that, I was similar to you. I, I think I tweeted out a very, I said it was a very harsh red card. But looking back on it, I can see where the referee saw it as being a red. I'm, I'm not, I'm gone a little bit past what you were thinking just, as just a booking, where I could think it's, it could be either a yellow card or a red. Um, I saw the, I could see where the referee was saying that he stamped on his ankle. Um, whether it was accidental or not, it was still, uh, you know, a dangerous foul. I think that definitely had a, a lot to play into it, the, the angle of the referee, the view of the referee. Looking at where he was positioned and watching the replay, and of course we've got the benefits of seeing the replay from all the different angles, seeing it time and again. From the referee looking at it, you could see how he would think it was a reckless tackle, how he left the ground and how he possibly stomped on Morales's ankle. When you then see the flip angle, 
it, there, there's no way it was a stomp, first of all. There, there was nothing intentional that he was trying to stomp on the ankle. His foot came down and it completely missed Morales. When you see the, the camera from that side on, there was no contact at all between Pelletieri and Morales's foot. Nothing at all. It looked so close, it was like there was barely an inch between them, but he didn't make any contact at all with Pedro. That that was obviously put the Whitecaps in a big advantage there. And the funny thing was, is what we thought was going to be an advantage turned out not to be that advantage. In fact, the, the, the Goats basically took over the game after that and dictated play when it should have been the Whitecaps who were looking after it. I, I looked at the stats for the majority of the 30 minutes after that foul... The Chivas actually controlled possession and dictated play and and moved into the attack and obviously scored that goal near the end of the half. Yeah, I thought Chivas played really well with with the man down. What what needs to be said as well straight off the bat? It was a horrible game of football. the The opening minutes were really pedestrian. Things livened up obviously a little bit when the sending off happened. But overall, looking at the whole game, the whole ninety minutes. It wasn't a very exciting game of football. It wasn't a good advert for MLS. Chivas looked really good at times. I know we had this discussion before we started recording. I think a draw was a fair result. And I kind of almost feel that Chivas were a little bit hard done by. I know you don't think they played excellently. I know they, they didn't. But I think with the man down, they did really well. They had the, the white caps on the run a few times. And there was a couple of opportunities where they could have gone 2-0 up and that would have been like lights out for Vancouver. Yeah, the, especially in the second half. But before we get to that, uh, like I do agree with you that uh, Chivas, uh, one thing I'll say is Chivas did defend well. And, uh, but I, I just don't think they, they they really did much to create. The the goal that, that happened in the first half was basically on a poor giveaway by Rio Coker. And, and then some, I, I think... Bad defending by Jay Demerit, who had, uh, again, once again, a really poor game, in my opinion, at centre-back. Yeah, I thought Demerit had a, a terrible game as well. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased because I don't think Demerit should be in the team and I don't think he should have been re-signed. But he's here now and we'll support him while he's here. But we'll not be afraid to be critical just because he's the star name and he's the captain. He had a poor game today. Let's look at that that Shiva's goal and the giveaway from Rio Coker. It was it was terrible. But Rio Coker's performance in general today was quite poor. He had a really poor game, and it was no surprise when he was substituted. And then it transpired that he'd kind of had a cold going into the game. So the question then arises: Should he even have been playing if he wasn't fully fit to go? Should he be playing? And the one thing I understand that we're a lot of people are, are praising Robinson in this game compared to Rennie, where they were saying he substituted early. I, based on the fact that he had a cold and how poorly he was playing the first half, why not make a substitution in the first half? Create something uh, more of a, an attacking sense when you have that extra man. You not worry too much about uh, Chivas doing anything on the on on their attack. So why not push forward the ball? It, it was a poor giveaway. It seemed like the the whatever he had the cold got to his head. Because the ball went directly into Rosales, who went right by him. He found Torres. And and the, and the one thing I was talking about where, earlier when I was talking about Demerit having that poor defending on, on that play. I don't understand. First of all, he he should have held up Rosales instead of going after him. Maybe kept Rosales from passing the ball. And that would have maybe avoided some of the, getting the ball to Torres. Also, 
when he moved into the box, he just basically ran into Rosales instead of, I personally think, watching, because Rio Coker had come back at that point and could have occupied Rosales there. Why didn't Demerit kind of help O'Brien into even closing down that angle and so Torres basically had nothing to shoot at? Instead, there was that little bit of a gap and obviously it hit him in the backside and it went in the net and Ousted with no chance at all on that goal. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at as well at O'Brien's positioning. I, I think O'Brien did everything he could have to, to try and put Torres off and force him inside. And when he's forced inside, you're not expecting that he's going to get the ball in the net from there. And there was a, an element of luck to it. It did take the deflection and it, it ended up in the back of the net. But it, it was coming. It was a goal that you just felt. Shivas were starting to push. They were starting to pressure. And the, the big question then was going to be how the Whitecaps would respond from that, how they would bounce back in the second half. Now, Carl Robinson said at halftime that he'd made the players aware that if things didn't change, after about 10 minutes, there would be substitutions. And it was 15 minutes before the first sub was made, which was Rio Coker. So, I mean, as you touched on before, for me, I would have made some substitutions, maybe at the half, but definitely a little bit earlier than it, than he did make them. Whether it would have had any impact in the game, we don't know. But when you look at the subs that did come on, especially Kakutamani, that changed the whole game. Essentially, yes, he changed the course of the game. I thought he, uh, one thing he did was he ran at the defenders. I, I know you commented during the game that he would give away the ball too easily, but he made those defenders honest where they couldn't press high. Like there was a there was a point where the 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 back line, the midfield, and the and Torres up there were so compact in that final third that the Whitecaps couldn't move anywhere. So you had to have somebody running at those defenders to maybe keep them back on their heels. And nobody was able to do it. And Manny did that once he got on the field. I thought he was very effective. But even before he came on, that's where you were talking about earlier where Ousted came in and, and it came up big on that save from Barrera in the 52nd minute. And I thought he that basically saved the game for the Whitecaps from getting a point out of it. Yeah, that, that was another, to me, mistake by Demerit. Now, when you watch the replay, it's questionable. Was he fouled by Torres? Did Torres jump into him and put him off? For me, it was just a normal challenge. They went for the ball. Should Jay even have committed to that challenge to try and win the ball in the air? Or should he have tried to let it bounce and take control of it there? Either way, he then slipped and he let Torres through. And if it wasn't for Ousted coming up big, then yeah, 2-0, game over for the Whitecaps. And to, to be struggling like that against 10 men was just very disappointing. No, that, that was my exact point too. I, I Sometimes I feel like Demary gets too overly aggressive in, in the balls in the air. Why not take a step back? Even let the defender gather it. They have one less man. It's not like you're you're outnumbered up up at the, you know you have O'Brien to cover you. You know, let them have it. So you're not in a position where the ball's going to get by you or anything like that. Everybody knew Torres was undercutting defenders all day. So why not let him try to see what he can do with it and then you know use his big noggin to maybe the ball goes somewhere else where he's not supposed to go. And I think what that move also showed in particular was the the danger that Vancouver have with two ageing centre-backs when there is a break, a quick breakaway like that and it's like it's down to a foot race and Demerit and O'Brien just cannot keep up with, with guys that's faster. Now, before it kind of turns into a, a Demerit hate fest or a criticism fest, I will give a little bit of praise for the excellent tackle that he produced 
later on in the second half. I think it was on Torres, I'm not 100% sure off the top of my head now. It was a great tackle and it, it saved possibly another goal. At the same time, he really, really dived in on that tackle and I kind of had my heart in my mouth because if that was just mistimed by a couple of inches either way, that was a penalty. Uh, one thing we should also talk about, one of the players that was very good, but we wish he could have finished his chance earlier, was was Maddox, Darren Maddox. I thought he worked really hard up top uh, when he was by himself. But he on that 66th minute chance when Morales found him uh, with one of the balls over the top of the back line, that's the that's the one where I thought it, when they didn't go in, I thought this was not going to be the Whitecaps night. He he got it he got it down to his feet, but he couldn't get it a hard enough shot on net because he definitely beat Kennedy, but the defender got back and cleared it off before it got over the line. Yeah, it was a lovely ball from Morales to to set the play up over the top. It, it's kind of what you're wanting your your number ten guy to do. And Maddox did well. He did everything right. He poked the ball past Kennedy. He just didn't get enough on it, or he just didn't have enough time to to get enough on it. And as it's slowly trickling towards the goal, you know that Shivas are going to clear it and you're thinking, oh man, Darren, you're just it's just never going to happen for you. You're just not going to get this goal. But after all the criticism that, that I've given Matix in recent months, I thought he did well tonight. He wasn't outstanding. But again, he put in a really good shift. He put in a lot of running and he did a lot of hard work off the ball. And that's stuff that we haven't seen from Darren Matix before. And of course, he made the run and the cutback that set up Kakutamani for the equalising goal. Yeah, but even before that, they didn't get a shot on target until the 69th minute. And that, that that's not acceptable when you're up a man, especially. Uh, I, I think they did, just didn't move the ball effectively enough. They held on to it too much and a little bit too long sometimes. They didn't really make Chivas chase them at all and, and get them to run out of position to, and then switch the play around. So I don't think it was effective enough. Now, when you got to the goal itself, that was another turnover uh, where Darren Maddox picked it up and, and ran with it. And he, I think he got it off uh, Avila. I'm not sure exactly Eric Avila or Rosales. One of those two guys turned it over. He basically ran with the ball. I, I actually thought he was going to lose the ball because his... his, his I don't know if he was trying to do a step over or something like that, but the ball seemed like he was going to kick it out and over the touchline. But he was able to finally control it, cut it back, and Mane easily slotted past Kennedy. Um, a well-deserved goal by a guy who really changed the course of the game, like we said earlier. Yeah, the Whitecaps had had a lot of success up that left wing after Mane came on. And like Avila was caught out a couple of times. Mane had one which he had just hit over where he just like cut inside and just left him for dead. So that there was a lot of scope there to try and attack up the left and to get Jordan Harvey sort of attacking up the left. And we won't touch on this too much just now, but that is also an area next week against New England. From watching their game at the weekend against Philadelphia, which I'll, I'll come to a little bit later on when we do our musing section, that is another area up the left where they can really attack. So getting that practice in the second half could work in really good for them. But I thought Maddox did well with the goal. And Manny took it and finished it coolly and calmly. And of course, Manny's performance when he came on won him man of the match. And the question now is, does he get the start next week? I think he deserves it. I know a lot of people are saying that he's still recovering from his back injury. I think he's proven that he he has recovered from that at this point. He uh, was effective against New York in the little time he had there. And in the extended period he had uh, against Chivas, he definitely... Uh, change the game. I think he does deserve a start. 
I personally think that they missed Tybert, one of the guys that didn't start because of a hamstring injury, because Tybert would have worked hard and got the ball back and would have chased the ball and, 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 and been on the ball and everything like that. I think they missed him a little bit, even though nobody was really expecting the team to miss him. Tybert's injury today certainly helped Carl Robinson with his selection headache. He didn't really have to wonder then who he was going to drop to get Morales into the team. What he does have now, though, is a bit of a selection headache because... Some players that played well in week one didn't play well today. There might have been a couple of knocks as well. And do, do you change it going into New England? Do you not? That's something that you guys all chat about in the preview show coming up later in the week. But what I want to look at first is there were some players today that fell into the good category, some that fell into the bad category, and some that were just pretty much middle of the road. So who would you have in those categories, Steve? Having a good game, I only have two guys, and that's David Alstead. Uh, I don't blame him at all for the goal that was allowed, and I thought he he did really well in controlling the box, punching the ball out, and even on this chance by Barrera, when he raced out and cut the angle down and was able to get a, a leg on the ball. I thought he had a, a pretty good game. The other guy I think had a good game was Darren Maddox. I know he didn't score on that one goal, but he, he worked hard, and, uh, and again... He was the setup guy once again for the second straight week. He set up the basically the game-winning or game-tying goal. Uh, this time to Kakuta Mane, he cut it really nicely back. And I thought he had a phenomenal game as one of the starters. Yeah, from the starters, I, I can't really disagree with you there. That would be the only two players that, that I would say. I thought Matix did have a pretty quiet game. He didn't really do anything that, that made him stand out apart from the miss and then the setup of Manny's goal. The rest of the time, I kind of thought he was just... He put in a lot of hard work. He didn't stand out, but then he wasn't bad either. But I'd, I'd tip him into the into the good part of that, just because of what he did to, to help salvage a point for the Whitecaps in the end. Now, on the flip side, there's a number of players today that just didn't really rise up to the plate. Um, and I know we're probably going to agree on this as well, but who did you have in the bad category? Well, we already talked about him before. I think Jay Demerit had a poor game. I know a lot of people are going to point out to the tackles he made and stuff like that, but sometimes you don't want your centre-backs to be in that position where they have to go to the ground to make those tackles. You'd rather have them play the safe game, especially playing against 10 guys and playing against a single striker with very little support up top. And this obviously because the cold and the giveaway, Rio Coker did not have a good game. Uh, we talked about him before. One guy who was very ineffective compared to like how he played in the previous game, and I even spoke about him about, on the previous show, maybe not starting, being the good veteran, and maybe letting other players get in the place. I think Kenny Miller had a poor game on the wing. I, I don't know if it was the heat that really got to them. He played in the shade for the first half mostly, but it definitely affected him, and he didn't have the same work rate, and it didn't wasn't effective on the ball at all. Yeah, I thought Miller was really poor today, partly maybe because of where he was playing. I still like Miller up front or just in behind the striker. For me, that's where he's most effective. He he was just not in the game today. You just didn't notice him at all. And when you had mentioned to me before you recorded the preview podcast that, that you thought maybe Miller should be dropped, I, I really poo-pooed that and I was like, you can't drop a guy that just got two goals. But, you know, maybe maybe if he had been dropped and you had a, a bit of a younger and a bit more pace in there, maybe it would have done something. On the, the other side of that, though, 
Miller, Mattix, all the guys really did not get any service at all. And when Manny came on, he had to do everything himself. He was like a one-man wrecking machine because there was no one else that stood up to the plate and was creating service. And that was our big, big complaint last season, that the Whitecaps just didn't have enough service being provided. And one guy that I was looking to be a lot more productive in the game against Chivas and wasn't was Sebastian Fernandez, who I, I I would actually have him in the bad players. I just didn't think he had a, a great game at all. Yeah, uh, Fernandez had. Uh, I think he. I think he had some moments, but I think that maybe the toe was bothering him more than than the first game, which is surprising because he had such a good first game of the season. Another guy I thought I had a poor game was Stephen Bettershore. I thought for the second straight game he barely got up into attack position. His crosses weren't that effective. Open play crosses. They, they the team as a team they only had nine into the box. And and even when they got a, a cross into the into the box, there was nobody really there except maybe Maddox at the most to to really deal with it. So I thought there was a lack of movement up the ball by both fullbacks, but especially Steve Bedishore because he has come advertised as one of those players that can get up and down the field. Yeah, but we haven't seen the best of Bedishore yet, and I put last week down to the fact he was travelling back from international duty, but he was quiet again today. The, the rest of the players, I, I guess, we can lump in the middling bracket. Any of those in particular you want to make any comment on? I know a lot of people are going to make a, a, a point about how Pedro Morales had such a great debut and, and this game wasn't as effective. I thought he played more effective, and even Lava a little bit, when they were, went to switch to a 4-4-2. For some reason, when he was playing up high, there he seemed to be ineffective. I think guys like Minda and McNamara, when when both of those guys were up there, they were closing him down a little bit. When he got to a four four two, he was getting more support from Lava, and I think that's when he made that play to Maddox in the sixty sixth minute. So I think he I think he wasn't as bad as people are gonna part, might point out because of the uh, the high expectations I had after the first game. The thing is, you can't expect these players to have fantastic games week in, week out. It's just unrealistic. It's just not going to happen. I did think Laba was quite quiet today, but again, DM role, you're not really wanting him to stand out too much. In the second half, when he pushed forward a bit, though, he, he was right in the middle of the action and doing the role that Rio Coker had kind of done a lot of last season. So I thought that was good. So before we move on from the game, just a quick word, Steve, about what you thought of the subs and the impact that they had today. Well, obviously, we've already talked about Kakuta Manny. I thought he's been he was phenomenal in the game and changed the game. I thought Hurtado, I was I was a little surprised it was Hurtado. I thought there was enough speed with Manny. I thought a guy like Mesquita might have been a better fit. There was one uh, play he had where he had Miller to the right and Maddox in the middle, and Hurtado made the wide pass to Miller, even though Maddox had space right around the top of the box. I think a guy, if Mesquite, a guy like Mesquita, if he was in that position, would have made the pass to Maddox. And Maddox was visibly upset when the pass went over to Miller. And Miller had no gas left in the tank and couldn't catch up with the ball. Christian Dean came on for Andy O'Brien. I thought he was uh, effective and, and confident on the ball. And he showed the form that he showed in the preseason. I thought he was really good. Yeah, I like Dean getting his first start. He didn't look out of place. There was the one moment in the second half where there was a little bit of misunderstanding in the box, possibly with demerit, but there was no biggie there and the danger was kind of taken care of. But it was good to to have him on the bench and I think the versatility that he brings to the team, 
the fact that he can play at left back as well, it, it was great to have him on there. You have to think though as well with Leveron now missing out and Dean coming in today, what is that going to mean for Carlisle Mitchell going down the road? And another player that was on the bench today and didn't see any minutes, Gershon Kofi. Are both of their days numbered in Vancouver? I, I don't think so. I, I think Mitchell wasn't selected. Was it was because of the versatility that uh, that Dean offers, he, like to be a sub as a left back or as a center back. I think if if it was a starting position where the player was going to start, I think Mitchell might have got the start inst- ahead of Dean. For Kofi, obviously, there's no place to put Kofi in when you're down a goal. You had to the guys they brought in. The two subs, first of all, were Hurtado and Mane. Those guys were attacking, and then they had to use Dean for O'Brien because of the injury. So I, I don't I, at this point I don't see Kofi and Mitchell being an issue because they have gotten praised by the coaches about their work ethic and their training the training habits. But there's definitely some selection headaches ahead now for Carl Robinson with the trip to New England coming up at the weekend. We won't get into that just now. Steve is going to be doing another preview podcast, recording it on Wednesday night. That'll be out Thursday morning, Thursday afternoon. So watch out for that, and that's where all the chat will be around that. So enough about the Whitecaps Shivas game. Let's turn our attention now to the rest of the MLS action in week two. It's time for the second of my MLS musings. Our MLS roundup for this week kicks off in New York against a team that the Whitecaps dismantled 4-1 last weekend. Now, on the performance from this game, a 1-0 draw with Colorado, New York aren't looking as strong as I actually thought they would be. I tipped them to win the East. They're, they're not looking that good. It was, a, it was a good point for Colorado, which, of course, obviously means it's a bad point for the Whitecaps. Not many teams from the West are going to go into New York and come away with much, but Colorado played well and at times looked a much better team. The Red Bulls didn't actually look that much better a team with all their top players in after them being arrested in Vancouver. And for all the fuss that was made about the BC Place pitch, Red Bull Arena's pitch was in a horrible state. Lots of dry-looking areas and you could see where the heaters were trying to grow the grass and... I don't know why they make such a fuss about going to play in turf when their home pitch and grass isn't all that much better. Colorado actually took the game to New York for a lot of the first half. Deshaun Brown got a lot of heavy attention and was getting kicked all over the pitch. And one of the challenges on him actually got Colorado a penalty and that was one which I don't think was a penalty at all. But Colorado scored from it and it equalised Henri's header and a 1-0 draw was probably a fair result but definitely a good one for Colorado. The all-eastern battle between Philadelphia and New England was won by Philadelphia, keeping them unbeaten and making them look one of the really strong teams in the East so far to to kick off the season. From a Whitecast point of view, with New England getting faced next week, the New England defence really was a bit all at sea, and it was a bit of a surprise because they were so strong last year, had Defender of the Year, but they seemed to be really struggling. Sebastian Latou grabbed the winner, and there was also a really strong performance from Zach McMath in the Philadelphia goal. It was New England's second loss. Let's just hope that they're not going to try and bounce back too soon and get the win next week against the Whitecaps. The big game on NBC was the game that so many people were looking forward to this weekend. Seattle against Toronto. Toronto went out early. Two goals from Jermaine Defoe. 
And in an even bigger shock, Clint Dempsey scored a goal to pull one back for Seattle. Toronto really could have been out of sight, and I think it showed a lot of flaws in the Seattle defence, which is going to be good for the Whitecaps. And I think we also have the players that can cause that Seattle defence a lot of problems. From a Voyager's Cup point of view, we still don't know how Toronto are going to play for that game. Are they going to put in all their big names? And if they do, that is still a worry for the Whitecaps going forward. MLS Cup winners Kansas City returned for their first home game of the campaign. And they got off to a, a mixed start against FC Dallas. Another one-all draw between an East and West battle. And it was another good point for a Western team. Dallas taking a point there. And they played some really good stuff. Kansas City had their chances. But it was a tale of two headers. Aurelian Collins' goal showed what I like about that player. And why I really want to see him in a Whitecaps jersey one day. I would gladly have him in the centre of our defence alongside Christian Dean. That would be fantastic. I still hope the Whitecaps can try and burst the bank to make that happen. Probably unlikely, but hey, you have to have hope. Matt Hedges equalised it with another fine header for Dallas. But all in all, it wasn't really that good a game. And I think the highlight of the game, if you haven't seen this, try and, try and find the photos of this. There was a massive TIFO fail. Before the game, the Kansas City supporters were trying to unfurl six banners that spell out defend. Now, first of all, the N didn't even deploy. And then for some other weird reason, they had actually mixed the second E and the F up. So all it really said was DEEF. The second Canadian team in action over the weekend was Montreal, who headed to Houston and were on the end of a 1-0 defeat. And I'll tell you what, it's early days, but Houston are looking the team to beat in the East I know they've had two home games, but they're playing some lovely football. Will Bruins looking good. Brad Davis is looking good as always. Giles Barnes as well. I've actually got Barnes and, and Bruin in my fantasy team, and they scored me a lot of points this week. Houston are playing some really nice football. How they then do on the road is what we're all waiting to see, but for me, they're definitely the ones to watch in the East. The final game on Saturday night was also my game of the week. If you haven't seen highlights of this, try and find it. If you can even find the stream for it or go on to MLS Live and watch the whole game. San Jose, Real Salt Lake, absolute credit to MLS. Fantastic game. Three-all draw, had a bit of everything. Also had those really annoying San Jose commentators that every time I hear them, I just want to go up to an axe and smash up their television gantry. They just drive me insane. So Lenny this, Wando that, Bushy. Be professional, guys. You really, really are terrible commentators. Wojnarowski opened the scoring for San Jose. Beckerman replied with a long-range beauty that nestled into the bottom corner. And then Salt Lake took over. And they, they went 3-1 up. And they were playing some lovely football. Looked really comfortable. Looking in command. Looking like another three points for them. Before, as always, San Jose fought back. 95th minute goal from Victor Bernardes. How many times are they going to do this? Do teams just not learn to mark better in the box? San Jose throw everything into it in the final minutes. And for all that I hate them, for all that I hate Lenhart, you have to give them credit. They fight to the end and they, they just put in one hell of a shift. And I really just wish the Whitecaps would be like that more often. And apart from the Whitecaps game on Sunday, there was another game between Portland and Chicago. And that was a one-all draw. Won't comment too much on that game because I find it difficult to watch. MLS Live, MLS, an English language league in America and Canada. 
You cannot watch the game on MLS Live in English. You had to watch it in Spanish. Sure, the Spanish commentators give it a little bit more with all their over-exaggerations and their calls of the goal, but I like to sometimes have a game on and do something else, listen to the commentary as if it's listening to the radio. And you can't do that when it's in Spanish. It was just so annoying. But Portland fought back again, went another goal down. They struggled last season at the start and then they came good. Can they do it again? Can Donovan Ricketts save them time and again? He had another couple of big saves in this. Will Johnson missed a couple of chances, but then, hey, their Argentine did it again, got the equalising goal, still no wins for Portland in two home games, and at the end of it all, that could prove huge. So that's my roundup of week two of the MLS action. We'll be back with another MLS Musings next week. So that's my thoughts on week two's MLS action. It was certainly a much different set of results than it was last week in that no Western Conference team got the win. And the opportunity was there for the Whitecaps to take full advantage of that and be the only team in the West with a 100% record. At least they're still undefeated and they're still top of the Western Conference. But Steve, what did you make of the weekend's games from what you saw? Well, two of the games that I, I would like to highlight are, are Cascadian rivals, and I still find it funny that people are riding this Portland wave so much and they've kind of really struggled in their first two games. I know people say it's too early to discuss, you know, how good they are and who is not. But listen, they, they played against two opponents, Philadelphia and Chicago, at home. Both teams are essentially re, somewhat kind of rebuilds or retools or whatever you want to call it. And they had to come back and withdraws basically in both games. I think this is going to catch up to them. I don't see much in the attack for them. And they, they seem to make mistakes on, on the back end quite a bit. And so I, I think this is going to be a... It's not going to be the greatest year that everybody's calling for it to be for Portland. Uh, the Seattle game, I, I'm just amazed they struggled so badly. Jermaine Defoe obviously you know, is a clinical finisher like everybody was talking about. And you could tell that Michael Bradley is going to have a big thing. But the thing is with them is they're... They're relying on so few players that if any if any of their top players get injuries, and you know a guy like Jermaine Defoe who's not used to the travel in North America is gonna you know be sore and not gonna be able to recover as much, and so that's gonna lead to injuries. That this team is gonna struggle if if any of those guys go down, and and that that those are the two things I thought were more more most interesting about the weekend. Yeah, Toronto are going to be a, a team to watch this year for the fact that they have got great quality players, but as you say, do they have the depth there when these players are either injured, away at the World Cup, or suspended, or just struggling out of form because they're not used to travelling coast to coast like that? You also have to remember that Rob Earnshaw got off to a great start for Toronto last year. Obviously, he's not quite at the level of Defoe, but he's still a top quality player. And the travel starts to take a toll on him. And we've seen it with other players that's come over from the UK. So that, that'll be an interesting one to keep an eye on. But what I would say is, as I said in my piece there, Toronto did look really good. It was really impressive. And at one point, it looked like it was going to be a thrashing. And then it, it, they failed to kill the game off again. And is that maybe going to be the same story that, that they had before? So we'll see how that plays out. So enough of the MLS action for this week. 
Let's turn our attention now to football of a more local flavour in BC. Friday night was the latest battle of BC universities between SFU clan and UBC Thunderbirds. UBC won the first game at the end of August 3-0 and it was the same scoreline on Friday evening up at Thunderbird Stadium. It was a really dominant performance by UBC. Two goals from Whitecaps PDL player Niall Cousins won a penalty and a third goal from Sean Einerson did the damage and the clan were just basically never in the game. It was a really comprehensive win for UBC. We spoke to head coach Mike Mosher after the game just to get his thoughts on the win. Look back at the Thunderbirds' back-to-back championships last year and what the future might hold in store for some of his top players, like Niall Cousins. Here's Mike Mosher. Thunderbirds are go. Just to ask you, Mike, what's your thoughts on that win? It was quite a dominating performance out there. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm really proud of the of the lads today. I mean, you know, we we haven't uh, haven't played a lot of games since uh, since November. Uh, you know, and, and missing some pretty significant pieces. You know, as to be honest, I was a bit concerned. You know, we're missing Paul Clerk and Harry Lacken. You know, two pretty key pieces within our squad, especially Paul at the back. But uh, the guys rallied and and. Uh, you know, they, they put in a really strong effort again, so super proud of them. I know it's often the media that kind of hype it up a little bit more than, than what you and, and Alan Koch think, but how important is it to get these wins over SFU just kind of in the grand scheme of things in well, BC? you know, I mean, hey, they're, they're, they're big games, they're bragging rights. You know, I think spring is always a little bit different than, than fall because, uh, you know, we, we, we're, we're both focused upon succeeding in the fall. That's when our championships and stuff are, and then the teams are different, you know, at this this time of the year. But it's always a good measuring stick, right? Um, you know, because it is a big game, and, and you want to see who's going to show up on on the day in a big game. And that's why I'm really happy with with what our guys did today. And uh, you know, it bodes well for our group going forward. Now, it's two wins that you've had over SFU so far this season. Do, do you feel that's going to help attracting players, especially local players, to kind of come more to UBC than, than maybe go down the NCAA route? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think, um, you know, we've we've been able to attract a lot of the, the top players, you know, um, as as it is, um, you know, with, with the success that we've had, two national championships and whatnot. I mean, I think people are... Are, are quite aware of the you know the standard of the of the group that we've got I mean hey they've got a good team as well and uh, you know we've we've been fortunate on the on the two days to, to get the results you know I mean albeit they're six months apart right so yeah. it's a, it's a long period but uh, but uh, again it's, it, they're certainly litmus test games when when you play against them because the boys are up and, and they do have a good side. So it's been a couple of months now since that you had the back-to-back championship wins. Looking back on it now, how how did you feel that whole season went for you? And again, dominant performance in, in finals week as well. Yeah, I mean the nationals was was a heck of a challenge. I mean the teams that we went through to 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 win it, you know we had a heck of a draw there. Uh, Montreal was was a good team, physical, um, really well organized. I mean they they knew our team you know super well we didn't know a heck of a lot about them they were good york really solid team as well um you know and then laval in the final i mean we i think we had the hardest hardest way 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 in but uh but we got it done and and uh you know it's all the more satisfying um you know this 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 group that we've had over the last several years is 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 a 
very strong uh, group of players, um, and uh, you know the, the the camaraderie within the group is 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 excellent, and it shows. You know, it shows uh, on and off the field. But I think you know that that uh, sort of brotherhood carries onto the onto the pitch, and they go and fight for each other like they did today. I know you don't like kind of singling out individual players, but Niall Cousins again tonight put in a phenomenal yeah, performance. Yeah, yeah. Do you think he's going to want to stay the whole four years at UBC, or do you think he's going to look to maybe go back to the professional ranks again? Um, you know, it remains to be seen. Niall's going to be with the, the Whitecaps U23 squad this summer. Um, so will Reynolds. Um, oh, so, will, so will Harry. So, uh, you know, those are three of our better players for sure. And... Uh, you know, uh, I, th- I think there's somewhere for Niall to play. I mean, he's he's shown to be a real big game player. I mean, he certainly showed up and, and, and the running and chasing and, you know, all the little things and stuff that he did today was, was excellent. So, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, he's a very intelligent guy too. He's a, he's a super nice guy. And, uh, you know, he's, he's in the right mind frame where he's going to, you know, keep doing his school. But if there's not an opportunity that comes up, then, then he'll pursue it and we'll, we'll encourage him. You know, we'll support him to do it as well. That's great. Thanks so much. All right. Thunderbirds are go. So that was Michael talking to head coach of the UBC Thunderbirds soccer team, Mike Mosher after his the 3-0 win over SFU. And it's good to hear, Michael, about the the return of guys like Niall Cousins, Harry Locken, and Reynolds Stewart to the PDL team. Those three guys really, you know, put a good stamp on the team last year. And it's good to see those three strong players coming for the, the PDL season next year. Yeah, I'm glad to see all the guys back. It's going to be a good PDL season. Obviously, we still have to hear who else is going to be in the team. But we'll bring you full coverage of that over the season. Definitely good to have those guys back. And when you look at UBC and just the players that they've got, it's all local guys. And BC Soccer is just going through a, just such a great time at the moment. There's a lot of great talent there. And we won't go into the debate again just now. They just need the opportunities to play. And at least the Whitecaps under-23 team is going to give them some of that for for some of the summer. So uh, enough about the, the the games over the weekend. What can we look forward to on AFTN this week? Well, we're going to be continuing our all-time great series. We're going to be trying to pick the NASL midfield. The defence has been selected, so watch out for our article on that. We were going to run it every Sunday, but because of the game this Sunday, we're kind of holding it back a couple of days. Also, Aaron Campbell will have his Caps countdown later on in the week where he'll list the Whitecaps performances from 11-1 to 1 from the game against Chivas. If you agree or disagree, especially if you disagree, leave a comment on the section because Aaron thinks he's 100% correct and we don't want him getting a big head. So watch out for that and just there'll be any other breaking news and of course your preview show is coming up on Thursday morning or Thursday afternoon. Yeah, that'll be coming up. Uh, we'll try. Uh, we still nailing down who we're going to have as a guest, talking about New England, and we'll have a you know combination of our special guests talking about breaking down what the Whitecaps need to do for their upcoming game against New England on 11 a.m. Saturday morning. It's early games to start for everybody, so everybody can watch in their pajamas. There's a picture for everyone. So just before we wrap up this episode, Steve, tell everyone where they can find you online. You can find me on Twitter at Whitecaps Beat and writing for AFTN and Canadian Soccer News. 
And all those articles we talked about, you can find them on AFTN on Canadian Soccer News by going to canadiansoccernews.com or aftn.ca. You can also read my writings on soccerly.com and look for me online on Twitter at AFTN Canada. So as always, thanks for listening. Disappointing draw for the Whitecaps on Sunday, but they're still undefeated. Might temper the expectations that I was saying that we needed to do last Sunday, keep some people's feet on the ground. There's still a lot of work to do, but other teams are going through this kind of growing pains just now as well, and the Whitecaps at least have the points on the board and are in a good position. So until next time, thanks for listening, take care, and mon the Caps! One day, I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then, there must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine.